You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Deirdre Boza. Here is what is ahead. Stocks are lower once again following Friday's big sell-off. With a Fed pivot off the table, where can you find opportunity in this market? And what are the technicals telling us about a potential next move? And our new series leading up to Friday's key employment report, we look at the state of jobs in the leisure and hospitality industry, plus Three Bs coming up on Earnings Exchange. We will get you set for reports from Baidu, Best Buy, and Big Lots. We begin, though, with today's market numbers with the Dow lower by about 24 points. Dom, coming back from those session lows. Session lows that were about a percent to the downside, over 300 points, Deirdre, to your point for the Dow Industrials. We are now down 21 points, just about flat on the session. The S&P 500, 4,053, the last trade there, down about four to five points, off one-tenth of one percent. And the composite index for the Nasdaq, 12,084, down 57 points, roughly one-half of one percent. At the lows of the day, the Nasdaq composite was down about 1.3 percent. So, yes, still weaker, but well off the worst levels of the session. We'll see if that momentum picks up a little bit of steam one way or the other in this afternoon trade. Speaking of that technology and the NASDAQ trade overall, check out what the relative value trade is happening right now within technology. You have semiconductor ETFs like the Vanek Vectors now down about 1%, a little bit of outperformance, only down three quarters of a percent for software-related ETFs like the IGV, cloud computing only off one half of 1%, and financial technology, the relative outperformer, only down about one quarter of 1%. So keep that in mind as you look for where people are either buying, buying on fundamental basis on value or maybe covering some shorts. It seems that financial technology is outperforming right now. And then the stock of the day has to be Apple because it is a pretty heavy weighting, the biggest weighting in the S&P and the Nasdaq composite, as well as a big weighting for the Dow Industrials as well. The market kind of gyrated as Apple moved below its 200-day moving average earlier in the session. Right now, $162.06. You kind of want to watch this area right here, right where we're at, because it does represent that longer-term trend line. So with Apple stock trading the way it has been, remember, Deirdre, we're talking about a 36% move off the lows to the highs that we saw just this past couple of weeks, and then a 9% roll over here. So as goes Apple, perhaps so goes the rest of the market. Yeah, it certainly makes up the largest portion of it. And um, it wasn't long ago we were just talking about it reaching nearly all-time highs. Has recovered some of its losses in this session as well. Uh, Perfect setup for our next segment. The market is selling off on the Fed's hawkish stance, but has it created value names that may not fit the traditional value definition? Joining me now is Vahan Janjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management. Jahan, Thanks for joining us. Um, I want to get to one of your picks right away because one of them is NVIDIA, something we don't typically hear from a value investor. Um, It is down substantially from its 52-week high. However, still more than two times the market cap of AMD, its valuation on a forward P basis, three times that of Intel. What are you liking about it? Yeah, you know, this is a very small position for me. I've been adding to it very recently. Uh, As you said, it's tremendously sold off. I am primarily a value investor, but I have very little exposure to uh, to growth and technology names. So I decided to take advantage of this. Um, you know, we saw the stock really drop, and I uh, started putting it into the portfolios of some some of my more aggressive clients. Okay, then why go for one of the priciest semi stocks, Nvidia, versus one that has been beaten down so much more, like an Intel or an AMD? Well, I have Intel, too. Intel is really a value stock, even though it's a technology stock, and it's a rather big position for us. I had no exposure to NVIDIA until recently, and I decided to add it because I actually think it's one of the better 
companies out there in, in that space. However, uh, it is very expensive, even with this decline. But when things turn around, this is the kind of stock that I expect to go up a lot very quickly. Yeah, and speaking of Intel, Vahan, I know you like a dividend, and that is why otherwise in tech, you're looking at some of those plays like an IBM. What did you mm -hmm. make of Salesforce um, last week? Kind of got overshadowed by its weaker guidance, but a $10 billion buyback for the first time. Do you think we'll see more capital return from tech names going forward? Well, we might see some more between now and the end of the year, um, because, of course, that 1% tax goes into effect in January. But uh, I wouldn't buy stocks uh, on the hopes that there might be buybacks. Remember that a buyback is nothing uh, but a substitute for a dividend. So uh, it's just another way to return uh, um, cash to investors. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my opinion, it's actually a better way because buybacks are voluntary. When you pay a dividend, you force the investor to accept it and pay the tax. A buyback uh, allows them to make the decision. But yes, we'll see some more buybacks before the end of the year because of that tax. But but that's not a critical uh, deciding factor for me when making investments. Now, Vahan, you are typically a value investor. I'm a tech anchor, so we've been talking about that. But I, what I find is so interesting is that you've actually been trimming your energy holdings to buy some tech. Meta is another name that you like. What makes you think that, you know, there's room for tech to run now, especially after what we heard out of Fed Chair Powell um, and his hawkish speech last Friday? Yeah, only because it's, it's become so undervalued. Um, Energy is a very big position for me. It's a position that I was really buying a lot several years ago when it was uh, very undervalued and everybody was avoiding energy. Um, as a result, it's become a fairly large position in my portfolio. So I'm not negative on energy. In fact, I think energy stocks will continue to rise. But because it's become so outsized in my portfolios, I'm trimming them. And yes, I'm using some of that cash to buy things like NVIDIA, which I had no exposure to in the past. Right. And Meta, as you mentioned, um, and you believe right now, though, the biggest risk to the market is an overaggressive Fed. Well, what we absolutely. saw on Friday, right, we had thought that maybe the markets had come more in line with what we've heard from Fed speakers. But why has that calculus changed? Is it because, you know, it was a little bit surprising to hear from Powell when the data has been a little bit better over the last few weeks. But he says we need to see months of that. Yeah, you know, so first of all, I would say that pay attention to what the Fed does rather than what it says. Um, I think the Fed's actions so far have been very appropriate. Um, there's no need for them to talk so aggressively. I think he was trying to talk the markets down and scare investors. Um, but as you said, the data indicates that inflation is already waning. Um, so I, I think it would be a mistake to raise uh, the Fed funds rate by 75 basis points at the next meeting. I think 50 is enough. And I think uh, 100 basis points by the end of the year is plenty. And of, of course, the Fed says it's data driven. So let them watch the data. I think what Fed Powell would like to see is more weakness in the jobs market. And uh, as I joke, uh, maybe one day when he sh when he reports to work and finds out he was laid off, he'll know that he raised interest rates enough. <laughs> OK, well, that is certainly one take behind. Uh, thank you for kicking us off. Great insights. Thank you. Um, let's hone in on the tech sector even more after a brutal start to the year. The Nasdaq saw a huge turnaround that saw a 21% rally in just two months. Um, but in the last week, sentiment has definitely shifted. The Nasdaq is down more than 8% over that time. So what happens from here? Let's bring in Jason Halfstein, Managing Director of Internet Equity Research at Oppenheimer. Jason, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm not nice. sure if you just heard the past discussion, but Mahan is not a tech investor. He's buying NVIDIA. I mean, not just Meta, which I can understand as a value play. So where do you think tech goes from here? So, um, you know, look, I think it's bifurcated. I think with the large caps like a Meta or Google, you know, you can look at a PE 
um, to, I think to your prior guest point, you've got Meta, um, depending on if you include or exclude the, uh, you know, the, the reality losses, it call it 10 to 15 times next year's earnings. You've got kind of Google 17 to 18 times. So, you know, clear, clear um, I think kind of, you can, you can look at the, this valuation support and it's really about short-term fundamentals that probably drive those and we can talk about that. The, you know, when you start to get into mid and, and small cap growth, or companies that historically hadn't had kind of cash flow or earnings valuation and were more yeah. multiple of sales, that's more Fed driven. So really it's kind of like a, a tale of two stories. Um, and, and so you do have probably the bulk, right, of, of tech, mm -hmm. more Fed driven, where you do have some of the mega caps. And I would even add, you know, like maybe even an Amazon to that, where there is more valuation to support. I, I do want to look a layer down, Jason, at some of those mid-caps. I know the names that you like include Uber, Etsy, Match. Um, as you say, they are far more driven by the Fed and interest rates. What makes you interested in them now? Same question I just asked Tavon when we heard such a hawkish tone from Powell, which, you know, they were the ones to sell off first in the market on Friday. These high growth names. Sure. So, I mean, Uber, we, we like it because I think you have multiple catalysts. I think there's nothing better to get people to go back to the office than a pending recession. So we think that will be kind of a people returning to the office tailwind. Gas prices coming in also um, help them uh, at the margin. And then, I, you know, I think you've got the stock now at 17 times our estimate for next year's EBITDA. Um, while that's not cheap, you can put like, you know, draw a line in the sand, right? It's not, you know, 30 times cash flow and a multiple of sales. So I think you've got multiple factors that kind of work with, with Uber um, onto kind well, of- let me, let me go back to Uber for one second, because this is still a very unprofitable name, at least on a gap basis, though they're increasing free cash flow and adjusted EBITDA profitability. Why not go for some of these mid-tier names, especially in the software space that actually are showing profits? So, so I, I'm an internet analyst. I mean, if you want me to give you a name like that in our world, it would be a company like Integral Ad Science. Um, they're $1.3 billion market cap. Um, you know, they do trade at 10 times EBITDA. And it's a play, they have software and a technology solution to help advertisers understand ad verification. So did my ad run? Um, you know, did it run next to content that I found agreeable or disagreeable? Um, to just summarize the business, but that's a name, for example, it's closest competitor trades at 20 times cash flow, they trade at 10 times. So there are names, right? There's a lot of companies out there, it just depends on what your parameters are. Yeah, what your risk appetite is. Um, when it comes to Etsy, this was kind of like a unicorn in the retail space when everyone else was hurting. It posted decent results. That stock is up some 44% this quarter. Is it too late to buy this name? No, um, I think what we've seen is a few things. Number one is that the inflationary factors are disproportionately impacting kind of the bottom, call it third of consumers. And Etsy tends to be, in our view, more of a, a upmarket platform. We've also seen that they, they do have the ability to drive take rate or we'll call it pricing power. So not necessarily on the buyers or the consumers, but they're able to extract more fees out of the sellers the sellers don't really have other places to go. Alternatives are, are can be more expensive. Uh, on top of that, if ad prices do come down because there's less demand mm -hmm. by other sectors slowing, potentially call it travel or parts of retail, they could lean into advertising when they see lower ad prices. So at 21 times next year's cash flow, not cheap, but again, 
a cash flow story. Yeah. Um, and we think that's the kind of names that could work in this environment. Absolutely. In this kind of market. I'm going to throw one more at you, Jason. OK, since I have you. What do you what are your thoughts on a Pinterest that is social media network, but trying to make this e-commerce pivot with a new CEO and Bill Ready? Yeah, we, we don't formally cover Pinterest, so don't have a kind of strong view. We do cover Snap and Twitter. And at this point, don't find either of those stocks particularly compelling, given some of the factors they're dealing with. If you do want a turnaround play, just to pivot on you, we do like Match as a turnaround play. They also have a new CEO, uh, just came from Zynga. Yeah. We think the, the former CEO just um, just did not make enough product changes and you know kind of just gave up too much ground to competitor Bumble. And so we think at 16 times cash flow, uh, with the proper changes, you could get both multiple expansion and uh, upsides in next year's estimates. That was a very skillful pivot, Jason, to a stock that you do cover with a new CEO to boot. Uh, thank you very much. Talk to you again Thanks soon. Thanks for having me. Jason Halfstein, Oppenheimer. We've got a news alert on the housing market with mortgage rates on the move. Diana Olick has the details. Diana. Well, Deirdre, after pulling back in July and much of August, we are seeing a sharp rise again. The average rate on the 30-year fixed hit 5.95% today. That's up from 5.73% on Friday, all according to Mortgage News Daily. Mortgage rates loosely follow the yield on the 10-year Treasury, and we saw that rise significantly both in the run-up to Fed Chair Jerome Powell's speech Friday and then just after the speech. Investors clearly still reacting to his tough stance on inflation and saying that he would be maintaining restrictive policy stance for some time. That, of course, means higher rates. Now, obviously, rates have been tanking demand for the home builders, but we did hear the CEO of Toll Brothers last week say they did see a pop in demand in the first few weeks of August, likely due to that rate pullback. Affordability actually improved overall in July because of the drop back toward 5%. 6%, though, does seem to be the pain level, and that looks like where we're headed. We've also seen home prices react from June to July, with not only the first monthly decline in nearly three years, but the largest monthly decline in over a decade. Deirdre. Right, but Diane, I wanted to ask you, despite the trajectory of rising rates, this year, and you talked about some of the other data recently, but first-time buyers have shown some more demand. What do you think this does to, to that group of buyers? They've shown a little bit more demand. We've seen that just in their applications for FHA and VA loans, which are low-down payment loans, but really there's just not enough supply on the market to help them out on the lower end of the market. So that was just a brief bump up in that mortgage demand, but I don't think we're going to see it overall, especially if we get into that 6% range. Yeah. Well, we'll be watching closely. Diana, thank you very much. Coming up, our next guest says the options market is showing huge bearish activity in one of these sectors, and investors are apparently going all in on the other. We'll tell you which sector is which side of the trade. That's up next. Plus, it is the 3Bs edition of Earnings Exchange. We will get the action, the story, and the trade on Baidu, Best Buy, and Big Lots out of their results tomorrow before the bell. As we had a break, let's get a quick check on markets. Uh, the Dow Industrials uh, moving closer towards a flat line, down about 44 points. The Nasdaq down 50 and the S&P down about a tenth of 1%. We are back right after this. Welcome back to The Exchange. Stocks are off session lows after sliding earlier on concerns about Ted tightening. The Nasdaq had fallen more than 1% at one point, but clawed back some of that ground. Short positions against S&P futures now reaching the highest level in two years. So is this the start of a bigger swoon? Let's look at what the charts are telling us. Joining me now is Jessica Inskip, Director of Product at Options Play. Jessica, um, has anything changed remarkably since Friday and the Powell speech when we did see you know, the sell-off really start to gain? ground. Yeah, great question. Um, essentially, the market faced a triple threat 
last week from a technical perspective. It was the 78.6 retracement line, the 200-day moving average, and the cloud model. So lots of really negative impacts going into Fed Powell's speech that we needed to overcome. And we did immediately come down. And just thinking about the data overall and what he was looking at, I, I was really happy that there was an instance of a hawkish move. And that's something we've been staying for a while. Because if you dive into the data and you see what's really been leading inflation or at least one portion of it, um, it really is something that's coming back, such as the energy sector, which I know we're going to talk about in a few. Yeah. And, you know, it does feel like this. there's this bifurcation between the institutional investor and the retail investor. The short positioning we talked about in the S&P is an indication from the institutional side. However, if you look at retail purchases of inverse ETFs, that has fallen off a little bit. What does that tell you about where the market's at? Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you point out the difference between institutional and retail, because if you actually look at the data over time, retail has been started to dominate the market. So we have to pay a little more attention to that than we used to. Um, so it's certainly interesting that you see that. And especially with inverse ETFs, actually a lot of brokerage firms don't even allow trades in some of those or you require extra um, account features and even to do that. So to see a spike in that is certainly interesting and you have to be cognizant of who can trade that and what portion actually takes up retail. I love right. that question. Uh, we've certainly been talking more recently about meme stocks. Um, today, though, with our first guest, Fahan, he was talking about trimming his energy holdings in favor of some tech. And the charts are kind of showing you something similar, a lot of bearish sentiment at the moment for tech and bullish for energy. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So, and if we're pulling call to put ratio. So that gives us an insight of bullish or bearish lenience in addition to the chart. So it's a really great indicator from a tech perspective. It was hugely bearish. I was really surprised this morning just to see that huge move. It's a two and a half to one. So meaning for for one bullish position, there's two and a half bearish positions. So that's seemingly seemingly bearish, and that's important even from a technical perspective, because doing a, a huge study of past bear markets, the lagging sector tends to lead the rallies. So that's tech in this case, and then also the declines. So that's something we pay attention to. And then the inverse is true with energy, and we see a similar story, but to the upside rather than downside. Yeah, um, a, a great look at two industries, um, segments that have certainly led markets this year to the upside and downside. Jessica, thank you so much. Jessica Inskip with Options Play. Still ahead, uh, airlines looking to snap a six-quarter losing streak, but new data shows bookings. They're starting to take a step back. We will break down the numbers and reveal the one airline that's actually adding capacity. But first, what should investors be watching for ahead of next month's FOMC meeting? We will look at the events you can use to track the Fed's next move. And as we had to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. See a little bit more green up there. Uh, exchange is back right after this. Welcome back to the exchange markets right now. As you can see, they're still in the red that they are off the session lows. The Nasdaq regaining that 12,000 level and the Dow Industrials and the S&P 500 each off by about a third of 1%. Energy leading all sectors as crude climbs back above 96 bucks. Diamondback, Marathon Oil, Occidental and Exxon, they are leading the group. Pinduoduo is leading the Nasdaq 100 after the company posted better than expected results, citing a recovery in consumer sentiment. It's looking ahead to international expansion, targeting the U.S. as its first market outside of China. Semiconductors, they are broadly lower, however, Semi, AMD, NVIDIA and Terra9 among 
among the worst performers in the SMH ETF. 92% of those names are now negative this month. And let's also get a quick check on Bitcoin. It is now moving higher, but it broke below that $20,000 level this morning for the first time since mid-July. The crypto is down 15%, as you may know, for its worst month since June. Let's get over to Tyler Matheson now for CNBC News Update. Tyler. Deirdre, thank you very much and welcome to the East Coast. At least three people are dead in Baghdad after security forces fired on protesters there. They're unhappy a Shiite cleric is stepping away from Iraqi politics. His party won the most seats in parliamentary elections last October, but fell short of a majority. The cleric has been refusing to negotiate with rival parties, leaving the country without a stable government. NASA will have to wait until at least Friday before it can try again to launch its unmanned Artemis mission to the moon. A fuel leak scrubbed today's attempt, but that didn't stop Vice President Harris from touring the Kennedy Space Center with NASA's administrator. She praised what she called the great work of exceptional public servants. And here's a man who isn't trying to go to the moon, but did complete an extraordinary journey in an effort to set a Guinness World Record. Dwayne Hansen floated 38 miles down the Missouri River in Nebraska in an 846-pound pumpkin. He named the pumpkin Berta without standing up. Uh, afterwards, he told a reporter, I can't say it's easy. Uh, the other question would be, I can't say why, Deidre. <laughs> I was going to say, why would someone do something like this? Uh, it's a really good question, but this is the kind of news you don't get on those other so-called <laughs> business you networks. you got to come here. You I guess he did right it to here. get into the Guinness Book of World Records. I hope so. Bit of a so. dream. It's fine. All right. Pumpkins all around. Thanks, Tyler. See ya. Coming up, it is a B edition of Earnings Exchange. We've got Baidu, Best Buy, and Big Lots all reporting before the bell tomorrow. We will have the action, the story, and the trade on those consumer names up next. Welcome back, everyone. It is time for Earnings Exchange. We've got the action, the story, and the trade on the three Bs on deck, Baidu, Best Buy, and Big Lots. First up, Baidu, the Chinese internet company, reports before the bell tomorrow, fresh off a preliminary deal between U.S. and Chinese regulators to reduce delisting risks. The street will be watching for AI, cloud strength, ad revenue growth, and any impact from the COVID shutdowns. Baidu's release also follows Pinduoduo's blowout report this morning. So investors, they may actually want to keep an eye out for more positive momentum in what might just be a Chinese tech turnaround. Joining me now to trade it is Ari Wald, Managing Director at Oppenheimer. Uh, Ari, if Baidu beats, are you a buyer? And is it too soon to call a Chinese tech turnaround? So far, so good. I, I think... Uh, I think what's most notable as a market signal, we have seen these turns in Chinese stocks lead turns in the S&P 500. And I think it does argue that the weakness that we're seeing in the market broadly is part of a longer term basing process. Baidu being one of those names that we think is in the process of turning higher. I think what's notable about the stocks trend at first bottomed in March. It successfully tested that low in May and has now moved above its 200-day moving average, which we do see as a sign of relative strength in what's been a difficult market tape. Now, here are the levels to watch. Still, The stock still needs to get above $157 resistance to confirm the upside reversal. That would mark the stock's first higher high. Still, we think you side with the relative strength and you buy the stock with a stop at mm. 142 support 
Uh, that being last week's gap above both its 50 and 200 day moving average. OK, but Ari, if we look at the fundamentals, the number of positive catalysts, we mentioned them at the beginning. You've got the covid lockdowns ending. You've got some stimulus from Beijing, even some clarity regarding the audit. Um, but if we've learned anything over the past few years, you got to be careful when it comes to the sector. We learned that from Ant Financial, from Alibaba, from Didi. Can we or can investors um, be confident that some of the regulatory overhang um, is cleared for now? Well, I think with all this, uh, the the bearish fundamental backdrop here, I think it's what's notable is that the stock has stopped going down. So, again, our, our read of the technical trend is that a lot of that bad news has potentially been priced in. The fact that uh, here's a stock against all those headwinds and negatives that you named, Deidre, uh, again, ha- hasn't been go- stopped going down since March, is now actually showing some signs of uh, trying to push higher. So, Again, I, I think that's telling, and which is what we're keen on here is, again, uh, the behavior of the stock's price action. Yep. Okay, we'll, we'll get a good indication uh, once they report. Next up, we're going to look at Best Buy. The retailer is set to report tomorrow morning after cutting its profit and sales outlook last month. It has been a rough year for the stock, down 27%. Let's bring in Courtney Reagan for the story on this struggling name. Uh, Courtney, what are we going to look out for, especially since they warned ahead of time? Yeah, exactly, Deirdre. Because they warned, I think expectations are pretty low. We also heard from Walmart and Target that their electronics category was not one of their strongest sellers as consumers really start to pull back on these discretionary purchases as we deal with higher prices for things that we need. Best Buy has talked about how they had a really good sort of pandemic selling period as it made sense when everyone had to re-outfit their homes to both work and do school from home. But since we already bought that stuff, we don't necessarily need it again right now. I think one thing that Best Buy does have going for it is it has a very sharp executive team and they have a very good history of operating well in tough environments. So I think that that is one thing they have going for it, but there's only so much that they can do to work through some of these challenges. They're working more, of course, to offer services, things Mm -hmm. that you can't order so so easily online. So I think there's going to be even more focus potentially on the total tech offering and how consumers are using that. And then, of course, the attachment rates there. But I think this quarter is probably going to be a tough one, but I think we know that. So I would be surprised if the company misses by a wide margin on what they've already told us to expect. Okay, and Ari, what do you think for the reasons that Courtney just outlined moving more into into services, the really good management team? Does that make the stock attractive to you on top of how much it's already sold off? It has sold off. If you're positively inclined uh, fundamentally, I would say the technicals, aren't confirming that thesis. Uh, at best, it po- possibly is basing. I think that's if the market is basing, but there's some underlying relative weakness that does concern us. That low in July, that marked a multi-year relative low versus the S&P 500. That in- indicates to us the stock should either be avoided or sold on strength. It suffered a much more damaging breakdown in the first half of the year that it suggests that more repair work is needed on the upside. So in terms of the levels I'm watching, I think the trend is bearish below $85 resistance, currently oscillating around its 50-day average. I think it's going to be important for the bulls to defend $71 support, that being the late July low. And Courtney, uh, consumer demand obviously is a place where we've seen it declining. Where does Best Buy stand in terms of its inventory issues? Because it got declining demand, but they had supply chain issues as well for a lot of those devices and consoles. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so su supply chain certainly is an issue. And so, too, we know a lot of these things are sort of deflationary in nature over time in normal circumstances. And so then you have a bigger concern about clearing the inventory when it comes to the discounting and then what that does to the margins. Every time, uh, you know, sort of an, a new item gets an innovation, then the old item gets discounted further in, in the price that it's sold for or the value that it has to the consumer. So inventory is definitely going to be an issue as it is for almost everyone across the board. Again, the company is good at operating and sort of managing logistics when they can. They are sort of the last man standing when it comes to a large national consumer electronics chain. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps there is value there in those relationships with the vendors. But this certainly is not an easy quarter for inventory. Right. For any of the retailers. Uh, finally, guys, I do want to get to Big Lots, the discount retailer, slightly down ahead of earnings, but up nearly 9% over the past month. Dollar stores and discount retailers, they have seen a nice boost in sales as consumers gravitate to lower cost items amid inflation. Courtney, what else can you tell us here? Yeah, so Big Lots, of course, is one that's really big on the idea of closeouts, a little bit more than what you're looking at with a dollar, dollar Tree or a Dollar General. And we know that both of those reports actually kind of win in in different directions. So I have a little bit more concern about a big lots, even though we've seen more strength and call it the lower end retailers and then the higher end retailers. This one really does have an inventory problem to our last point mm -hmm. on Best Buy, something that they've had to really been working through over the last quarter, but it came up a bit earlier than I would say some other retailers started to see it. And so I think their margins are really gonna be in trouble here. Uh, discounting looks pretty high. I mean, discounting throughout the entire chain and then category specific. And the company had already talked about weakening trends on those discretionary items as the quarter went on with that last quarter of their uh, the last month of their most recent quarter, really the weakest. And so we know that inflationary pressure sort of only got worse for the consumer in this most recent quarter. I'm worried about this one. Ari, do you share those concerns? I mean, uh, Courtney painted sort of a grim backdrop, but this is also a stock that's down what I think 50% year to date. It, it does. Here, here's one where the, the technical trends are confirming that uh, the, the case laid out by Courtney here. I mean, it's a stock, the weakness we've seen, it's really been emblematic of the weak, weakness in the retail industry overall. The stock has been trending lower on a relative basis for the last 10 years, uh, indicative of structural weakness, one to sell on strength, not buy on weakness. Uh, more recently, it failed at its 100-day average. That resistance level is now coming in at $26. So the tactical trade is to sell it into a pop into that moving average. The stock has been trying to base at around the $20 mark since early July. So I think on the downside, that's going to be an important level for the bulls to defend. Ari, are there any retailers that you do like? It's been kind of this confessional quarter. Do you think that there's one, maybe a Walmart or a Target, that has gotten most of the bad news out of the way? I think it's uh, you got to go into the specialty retail space. Uh, uh, not only the uh, the home improvement retailers, I, I think, are on the road to recovery, but looking more specifically, even into a subset like the auto retailers, mm -hmm. uh, AutoZone, a great example coming off a new high. I think you buy the pullback in a stock like AZO. Courtney Reagan and Ari Wall, thank you both very much. And still ahead, Friday may have marked the end of the summer rally with Friday's sell-off erasing the gains made in August. And while September brings fall weather, there is also a slate of happenings that will be key for investors. We will get the rundown next. Exchange is right back.
Welcome back. Stocks are extending Friday's losses. All three major averages are lower again today. The Nasdaq, the, un- the underperformer, I should say, down four-tenths of a percent. Job Pisani joins me now with where investors can look for signs of Fed Chair Powell's softening of labor conditions, why September could be a very important month for stock pickers, Bob, especially this Friday. Yes, uh, and that's the jobs report. Hi, Deirdre. Uh, the important thing here is we're entering a seasonally weak period, September historically the worst month of the year. Take a look at what I think is going to matter for September here. Earnings are the key here. Now, the story about earnings is simple. They're still up. We're expecting 5 or 6% growth this year, but they're lower than they were. They're half what they were, oh, six, seven, eight weeks ago. The economic data and the sell-side conferences will be the key for September. The economic data, Deirdre mentioned the jobs report on Friday, and then September 13th, the consumer price index. So it's about jobs, and it's about the inflation outlook. But September, we're going to have uh, traditionally a lot of sell-side conferences. These conferences are companies presenting individual outlooks for their industries and their companies. Often they're not that important. This time, I think they will be because when they last reported in July, the earnings situation may be very different now than from mid-July to mid-September because things have moved so fast. Big conferences coming up, including the Barclays Global Consumer Staples Conference, the Everscore ISI TMT Conference, Wells Fargo's got a big healthcare conference. All of this is the first week of September, believe it or not. City's got a big global technology conference. Goldman's got a big retailing conference, September 7th and 8th. This is literally the first few days after Labor Day. There's a lot more in the middle of September. There's also an awful lot of investor days that are coming up. So Starbucks has got a big investor day. Humana, Ralph Lauren, Qualcomm. And these are only a few of them that I'm, I'm listing here. You get a, The idea here is that there's a lot of companies that are going to be talking, providing updated guidance from what we heard back in July. At the same time, Deirdre, I want to point out that as bad as Friday is, and we're down today but attempting to go positive, we've had a very good quarter overall. Compared to where we were at the end of June, we've had big moves up in small caps like the Russell 2000, which is up 11%. This is for the third quarter. The transports have had a nice run. Even the NASDAQ 100 is outperforming the overall market, even though tech stocks got clobbered on Friday. And finally, Deirdre, the S&P 500 is still up about 6% for the quarter. Yeah, and Bob, don't forget code. That's next week. Tech Check is going to be there. We're going to hear from Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai. And, you know, anything they say is going to carry a lot of weight, especially because they make up so much of the market. Um, Bob, could this year, I know you've said that September is seasonally not a great month for stocks. However, we are approaching the U.S. midterm election. Could that change anything? Uh, Potentially, there are usually... There's different things that happen in the midterm elections with with stocks. Usually you get a little bit of a rockier return uh, when it's the middle part of an election, uh, when it's the second year uh, after a a president's cycle. So, yes, it can change things. Overall, though, what really matters is the Federal Reserve right now. They literally are dictating the stock market policy. You saw what happened on Friday when you get especially aggressive commentary from the Fed. So I'd put a lot more weight on what Jay Powell says than when happens in the elections. Absolutely. Bob, thanks so much. Okay. Bob Asani. Coming up, we are speaking with the CEO of Dream Hotel Group for the first installment of our State of Jobs in America series ahead of Friday's big labor report. We were just talking about it. So how is the leisure and hospitality industry finding workers? We will ask. That's up next. Welcome back to The Exchange. The Dow and the S&P 500 had managed to briefly turn positive. Uh, They're a little bit lower now. We'll call it flat. The Nasdaq composite still down about a third of 1%. Um, It is a different story, though, for airline stocks. They 
the majors are lower across the board ahead of a holiday weekend. You've seen actually Southwest Air and JetBlue Airways, however, turn positive. According to a Bank of America note, bookings took a, quote, sizable step back last week, falling nearly 24 percent from 2019 levels. Those analysts warning that if the softness is not reversed in the next one to two weeks, that puts third quarter outlooks at risk. Phil Abo joins me now with whether Labor Day travel demand will be the boost that airlines need. I'm particularly invested in this question, Phil. I got to travel back to San Francisco at the end of the week. <laughs> I think you're going to be OK in terms of how the airlines handle things, provided the weather cooperates. Look, August has been an interesting month until a couple of weeks ago. They were doing better than expected in terms of cancellations and delays. Then we had a really rough weekend, not this last weekend, the weekend before. And as a result, when you take a look at the August numbers, cancellations a little worse than what we saw in July. As far as delays, almost one out of every four flights delayed. That's basically been what it has uh, been the expected rate over the last couple of months. The amount of flights, it's actually decreased slightly since July. And the airlines plan to bring it back even more in September. Now, these are the reductions in capacity compared to their initial plans at the beginning of the year. Look at American, United and Delta. They've all brought down their September capacity plans, again, compared to what they were planning on doing earlier this year. As you take a look at the airline stocks, keep in mind that later this week, the Department of Transportation will be launching launching its airline customer service web portal. And essentially, this is going to be one-stop shopping where if you are delayed or canceled, you can say, okay, what are my rights with this mm. particular airline? And how does this airline's policy compare with another airline? So you take a look at the airline stocks. Keep in mind that that's going to be going live later this week. Curious how much uh, reaction it'll get from people who are flying, especially if it's a messy weekend. And finally, right. Deirdre, as always, jet fuel becomes uh, the issue that a lot of people are paying attention to. Uh, as they head into the uh, end of the third quarter, does it moderate even more? And that's what the uh, analysts will be watching as we head into September. Right. And even looking further out, Phil, when you think about how they've had to add or take away capacity, how are they positioning for the holiday season? Does what happened over the Labor Day weekend sort of determine that at all, or would it be totally separate? No, it's more about, it's more about forward bookings. And they've already locked in plans and I say locked in. They can adjust them. But as of right now, they plan to ramp up capacity second half of October going through November and December. One other note on that introduction about the Bank of America note, yeah. people will sit there and say, oh, my gosh, bookings are down 23 percent. That's in comparison to one week, the same week back in 2019. And there was a hurricane approaching the eastern part of the United States back then, which may have made it a lumpy comparison. You really need to look at bookings over three or four weeks before you can say, OK, there's a definite trend either in terms of more bookings or less bookings. OK, so bookings then a little bit lumpy. But then what does that mean for prices, Phil? Can you get more of a discount or are airlines not there yet? Well, they're bringing down the fares a little bit, not not as much as I'm sure people would like to see them, but they're not as high as they were earlier this summer. They typically tend to drop a little bit as you head into September, early October, and then they start to go back up as you head into the holiday season. Right. Uh, Philippo, thank you very much. I hope you're right about this weekend and I don't get stuck, stuck in the airport. Coming up, we are going to stick with travel and leisure. We'll get a check on the state of hospitality jobs with the CEO of Dream Hotel Group. And as we had a break, take a look at some of the biggest NASDAQ laggards in August. You've got Zoom, Match, Fortinet down 20% for the month. These growthy, more speculative names. The exchange is back after this.
Welcome back to The Exchange. All this week, we are taking a look at the employment picture in different areas of the economy ahead of Friday's jobs report, which is, of course, crucial ahead of next month's Fed meeting. Today, we are focusing on hospitality and leisure. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are currently 1.6 million jobs available in the industry. Joining me now is Jay Steen, CEO of Dream Hotel Group. Uh, Jay, I'm curious, what have you seen, particularly over the last few weeks or months? Has anything changed in that labor picture? Hey, Deidre. Um, you know, it has been, uh, it's been difficult for quite some time now. Um, so when you say, has it changed, you mean, has it looks like things are getting better? Is that what you meant? Yes. Have they been getting any noticeably better or worse in the picture? No, it's been about the same for us. Um, difficulty, particularly on the food and beverage side, on the labor uh, part of the picture. Um, but since COVID, uh, obviously it started then and, um, you know, people not working, people getting uh, enhanced uh, uh, payments, and it's been it's been difficult. Uh, and people just coming back to this industry, uh, there's no doubt this, it's been the most difficult I've seen in, in over 35 years. Yeah. So, Jay, then how are you retaining workers? Are you having to raise wages? Y- yes, we are having to, to increase wages. Uh, we've had to do incentives to... Uh, uh, to signing bonuses to find people. We've also had to change the way we do business a little bit. So a lot of operations that used to be open seven days a week, uh, we, we've moved them back. Now, fortunately, we're, we're opening them on the busier days, so closing perhaps on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday night, certain venues, um, which overall the flow-throughs have, have remained pretty well because we're just cutting out some of the softer days of the week. Um, so we, but we, had to, we have had to amend the way we do where we're doing our work. Jay, uh, I usually anchor a tech show, so I'm curious if there's any technology that you're using to either automate or make up for some of the smaller workforce, like an automated check-in. How are you finding, or are you looking for those things? Yeah, and we were doing automated check-in and starting to look into it even prior to this. Uh, it's, just, it's just something that guests like. And uh, so, yes, we're continuing down that road and, and, and increasing in those areas. We have moved to some robots in some of our properties, which sounds kind of funny. Um, and it, it helps. Uh, it's not a huge uh, impact on, on the labor side, but it helps a bit. But, you know, this is a very labor-intensive industry, and we could make some improvements, but we're never going to get away from it uh, in, in large percentages, particularly not in the upper upscale and luxury segment, which is where most of our uh, hotels are. Right. It is such a people business. And it's also, you know, a largely 24-7 business. So when you get workers that maybe don't want to work in hospitality anymore, are they telling you where they do want to go? Yeah, they are going into different tech businesses. And, you know, a lot of my jobs you can't do from home. Um, uh, So they may be looking for for jobs or they are able to work from home or work remotely. Uh, so, yeah, we've got to get creative, but our industry has been around for 5,000 years with hotels and restaurants. We're not going away. Um, it will balance itself out. It may take a little longer, um, and uh, inflation will, will help in the sense that our rates will be going up, and we'll figure out how to be profitable by paying people more than we used to pay them in the past. So we'll get there. Yeah, and Jay, um, you know, this summer has really been the return of travel. So how are you finding your pricing power? You said that rates have been going up. Oh, yeah. Uh, certainly in the leisure markets, rates have been going up for two years already since COVID started. 
Um, and now even in some of the urban markets, uh, New York has been bounced back pretty nicely. We're starting to be able to raise rates uh, pretty much ahead of 2019's pace already on rates in a lot of our markets. So, And I think over the next two years, we'll see a lot of growth in that area. Well, Jay, we thank you for being with us today, JC, and good luck to you. Thanks so much, Deidre. Appreciate and it. And we will have a check on the state of jobs in the tech industry tomorrow with the CEO of Tyler Technologies. That does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.